0: Hi, I'm Ryan Levy. Welcome to Cyberism's Malicious Life. If you live in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area and you're hungry, you might order in from Tono Pizzeria and cheese Steaks. Get a pepperoni pie, maybe, or if you don't mind the diabetes, a cheesesteak with bacon on top over a bed of fries. Tono has four locations in the city, and they're on DoorDash, which is where the problem began.
1: The way DoorDash works for merchants is that you're given access to an administrative portal.
0: Shaz Khan is the co-founder and owner of Tono.
1: And, um, you're able to log in alongside any authorized users that you have on there in order to see the metrics of your business. And so what had happened was I went in there once and I noticed that there was an obscure email address, uh, that I didn't know. And I noticed that my role in the organization had uh, been switched from business owner to, you know, account manager, or something uh, something of a lesser uh, access. And this uh, rogue email was the one that had been given kind of the business admin access.
0: Shaz contacted customer service.
1: And um, after a series of painstaking phone calls with DoorDash, come to find out that uh, this is kind of a known threat, a known attack, where by... Um, you know, I'll say an attacker, for lack of a better term, uh, attempts to convince somebody on the support team at DoorDash that they are indeed an authorized um, administrator of that particular merchant and to be given access to the account.
0: Customer service failed to suss out the unauthorized user, but the app itself has measures to prevent the worst-case scenario. Even as an admin in Tono's DoorDash account, the unauthorized user had no means of initiating transfer of money from the business to themselves.
1: However, access was given, visibility was given. And so um, in this case, you know, some uh, the couple digits of digits of a bank account, uh, the name of a bank, uh, and uh, they're able to take that information, corroborate it with your name, which is on the account, which they can see because they're now the business admin.
0: DoorDash was responsive in helping remedy the situation. So we removed this fraudulent account,
1: uh, which was, of course, a fake email address uh, or one that isn't easily identifiable. You know, I I ended up talking to a number of people at DoorDash and and finally closing the gap on this and putting locks on the account um, such that, uh, you know, this should quote unquote never happen again. Um, You know, the amount and number of users on my merchant panel uh, shall not change, and things of that nature.
0: Everything was cleared up and secured, and Tono went on operating as usual.
1: I thought that's where the story had ended.
0: A few months after the DoorDash incident, Shaz got a call from his bank.
1: And uh, the bank tells me that, you know, someone was trying to, uh, you know, pretend to be me and inquire regarding the account, that particular account. And uh, immediately I didn't put two and two together. I said, oh, that's strange, but just out of an abundance of caution, you know, change all of the security questions and whatnot that uh, exist in the system, just in case, Um, over the phone, over the internet, etc., everything cleared up, Shaz went back to his life. And uh, another week passes by and they give me another call.
0: The same thing. Somebody trying to access his business account by pretending to be him.
1: And then I, I told them, you know, this is, this is now starting to be, it's starting to feel a little targeted. I said, all right, uh, you know, if in the future anyone calls you in regards to this account or any account um, that's associated with me, then I want you to take a look at the phone number that's calling. Uh, If it's not my phone number, then simply hang up and call me.
0: The teller noted Shaz's request in his account file. Not much more they could do. It was a Friday. Everybody returned to their weekend but it was only the following Monday when Shaz woke up and opened his phone to check his email.
1: And suddenly I have a couple messages pop up uh, using their native app that says that uh, the number port is complete. A transfer of
0: his phone number to a different phone.
1: Um, Usually if you're porting your number from device to device, you'll get a text message, you'll get some kind of authorization saying I really want to do this, yes, it's really me, None of that happened. Uh, Just the app told me that it was complete and suddenly my signal dropped out. Uh, Somehow I I just kind of knew innately, uh, intuitively what what just happened. You know, I've heard about things like this, never been really a victim of it. And the implications I knew very well.
2: So every cell phone company Um, have tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of stores.
0: Hasib Awan is the founder and CEO of Ifani, a company that provides cell service specifically designed to protect against SIM swaps. Then they have like
2: offshore call centers and everything. All of them have access to every account. What happened is that a lot of those people uh, will charge a bribe or get social engineered because they're not very well prepared for hackers
0: It's no wonder customer service workers are unprepared for hackers. It's a low-level work with high turnover rates, so companies hardly invest any more than necessary in getting these employees up to speed. Cybersecurity is usually glossed over, if not entirely left out, so hackers pounce. They call up agents and use some classic social engineering. Check out our episode from earlier this year on vishing if you're curious just how easy it is.
2: If I'm Hasib, someone can pretend to be me, me, get into my account, and transfer my number to a SIM card that they control. Once they get their SIM card, every call that I'm supposed to get, they will get access to that.
0: Your phone now is effectively your hackers. Your physical device is still on your bedside table, perhaps, but it's blank all of its contents transferred to your attacker. That includes every phone call meant for you, every text from a friend or family member, every two-factor authentication code triggered for your most sensitive online accounts.
2: And they use that to access my bank account, to steal all the money from me, steal confidential information, and then do extortion.
3: What's the worst that could happen in cases like this? Like, What's the worst that you've seen out there? Oh, I've seen people losing, uh,
2: doing suicide. You know, um, I don't know if you can think about something worse than that. And the reason for that is because their confidential confidential information was breached. Their pictures, their private text messaging, their lives were destroyed. Um, and they ended up taking out their life. And what's the second worst? People losing everything they have. Losing their licenses, losing their uh, you know, reputation, losing their all the money in the bank, their life would
1: be gone in like half an hour. And so, of course, I'm freaking out now because I have no cell service, and I have a very strong feeling that uh, someone is stealing my phone number.
0: Panicked, Shaz called his telephone carrier, Verizon, to recover his account. From a different phone, of course.
1: The most frustrating part was that, you know, you're put into this uh, process uh, where, you know, a customer support agent uh, who is probably reading off of a script is uh, trying to answer your questions but trying to validate who you are as well.
0: It was ironic having to answer the very same knowledge-based authentication questions that his attacker had already successfully used to pretend to be him. Then, of course,
1: I have to prove I'm me. And they can't do that without sending me a message. And I said, well, hey, I don't have my phone number. Clearly the attacker does. Uh, And if you text them, they're just going to know what I'm doing. So don't do that.
0: In what turned out to be a very lucky break, Shaz happened to have another person on his plan.
1: So that saved a ton of time in this very unfortunate situation. If, you ha- if you're if you on a standard cellular carrier and you're the only person on your plan and this happens to you, the only way to prove your identity is to drive to a store, get in line, wait your turn, show them your ID, tell them what happened, and then they can verify your identity. Well, the amount of time it takes to do that, assuming that you can do drop everything you're doing and just run and do that right now, and that's assuming that you know what's happening right away. Is going to buy the attacker a lot of time to figure out you know where you know how to get into your email how to get into your bank account etc etc and who knows what other types of accounts are out there
0: to avoid that shaz brought the other person on his account into the call with the agent
1: i told them you know well authorize uh, send the authorization uh, request uh, the identity re- validation to the other lines on my account And so they did that and I was able to, you know, three-way that person on the call and and, uh, click on the link and tell me the code and they can hear it. And so they were able to restore access to my device, have me reboot uh, that particular device uh, and uh, I, I see my access once again.
0: Hasib Awan didn't always care so much about sim swaps until a series of events that turned his life around.
2: The first time, I was just sitting on my computer, and I got an email that, "I see, be sorry to see you go."
0: His phone carrier.
2: So what do you mean? You know, um, and I thought it's like random email that I got, and but I look at it, it, looked legitimate.
0: It wasn't a fish. His phone service really was gone. Not only that, because he still had Wi-Fi, he could sit and watch as email after email flooded his inbox.
2: Password attempt change on this account, password change attempt on this account. What do you do? You go on chat and you cannot get access to any company account because you need a phone for that. So I ran into a store and they say, we can't do anything because we have no idea. You're not a customer anymore. And I went to police and I was very quick in because I knew what, what happened immediately. Mm. And so within an hour, a couple of hours, I spoke to... Your fraud department, and they said, Oh, we have we can't do anything because the number has been transferred.
0: The agents he spoke to didn't know how to help him at first because they didn't even know what a sim swap was,
2: they don't even know that this this thing even exists. So, after I convinced them, I told them um, they would put a block on it, and after like maybe one or two days, I was able to get my cell phone
0: number back. He caught a break. By acting fast, he prevented the attackers from doing any severe damage. All was fixed,
2: and I told them that this is should not happen again. So they said, "Oh, this was perfectly okay, no problem at all." And the second time, I think I was on a camping or something, uh, but I was like in an area where there could be no signal coverage, loss of cell phone coverage. And I didn't realize for maybe like half a day or something that I was actually out. I actually couldn't believe it, like how can this happen again?
0: After two sim swaps, it was hard to imagine that it could have gotten any worse for Hasib. Yet, amazingly, this was only the beginning.
2: Third time it happened and basically it caused kind of a mental health issue to me where I couldn't walk into, go into a basement. Because as soon as I lose cell phone service, I will be paranoid, but I'll just panic. And then I start getting up at like 2 o'clock at night, like after one hour, two hours. Because I, I thought my cell phone coverage is gone. And I stopped using Wi-Fi. It was a very tough time for me.
0: If SimSwap stories ever make the news, almost uniformly, they focus on people who have lost a lot of money. Like Michael Turpin, the CEO and investor who lost a full $24 million to a hacker who was only 15 years old at the time. But SIM swaps also take a psychological toll. Getting cut off from the grid all of a sudden. Not knowing why. Not being able to call for help. Even when it's over, you never know if your attackers, whoever they are, will come back again.
2: I went from angry, to defeated, to hopeless, to basically... Um, it was a very tough time, it's very hard to explain it. But still it gives me sometimes kind of anxiety sometimes that what happened to me.
0: Hasib was swapped four times in a period of 18 months. Like a never-ending nightmare.
2: And the fourth time I was like literally I'm just trying to give up on a cell phone.
0: Even after he got his number back and tried everything he could to secure it, hackers would just return later. Because they could. Because there was nothing he could do to stop them. No amount of password resetting or MFA or anything was changing that. The best strategy for organizations to avoid becoming a victim of ransomware is to prevent the attack from being successful in the first place. Cyber Reason remains undefeated in the fight against ransomware because it moved beyond alerting to deliver an operation-centric approach that detects and prevents ransomware attacks at the earliest stages of initial ingress and lateral movement. The CyberReason predictive response capability disrupts ransomware attacks prior to data exfiltration and long before the ransomware payload can be delivered. Visit CyberReason.com to learn more about predictive ransomware protection and how your organization can realize both increased efficiency and efficacy through an operation-centric approach to security operations.
1: So I go on there uh, online and, of course, I change everything once again. Uh, you know, I turn off the number port uh, code, I reset everything, I reset passwords, I reset two-factor authentication.
0: Shaz Ken was aware enough, or perhaps paranoid enough, to know that his attack wasn't over once he got his number back. Um, because at this
1: point I don't know where the gap was, um, where the, you know, the security hole was
0: he began digging for evidence of what could have caused the breach. It didn't take long to find a big flaming clue. And so um,
1: I look on my account history and I see that uh, somebody in another time zone in the United States had first thing in the morning in that time zone had walked into a retail Verizon store purchased a gift card uh, at some time prior, used that gift card to purchase, uh, you know, I, I don't know, some kind of uh, Android device and uh, pretend that they were
0: me. The store, it seemed, was located in Florida, a long way from Minneapolis.
1: I looked up the receipt on the portal uh, of, you know, what agent had uh, at Verizon had uh, authorized this uh, Um, device purchase through that gift card um, and I started calling. uh, I asked the agent on the phone that I was speaking to once I thanked them for helping me to connect me with that store.
0: Verizon doesn't allow customer service agents to connect callers to specific store locations. But Shaz had no choice. He called again and again, spending four, five, six hours trying to get somebody to help him.
1: And so, um, you know, we're hours into this ordeal and one of these agents connects me somehow. I don't even know how because all other agents told me it's not possible, but they connect me to that store. And um, when they did, I I asked to speak to the manager and the manager would uh, very weirdly not identify himself.
0: The employee on the other end of the line was quite obviously hostile for no explainable reason.
1: So he gives me one letter for his name, um, and I say, okay, well, apparently that's your name. Um, Do you know such and such, which was the name of the representative on the receipt that I was able to uh, download from my Verizon portal?
3: They said, yeah, they're here. I said, well, can I speak to them? No, you can't. And who is usually behind these attacks in your experience? Because in Shaz's story, it at least appears to be like a whole crime ring, or is it sometimes just individuals?
2: It's generally a ring because they operate in a in a gang, and so they have connections. Some person will work in a in a store, so they will say, okay, one person will work in a store, one person will work uh, do the sim swapping, one person will do after sim swapping. So they operate in a gang of three to five normally, and they share information to create the maximum damage.
3: When you say op- uh, working in a store, you mean like an actual legitimate phone carrier store, one of these people in a crime ring would be working there? That's right. So they get a job there. Wow. wow. Could you expand on that? Just because that's a relatively significant thing to say. Um, have you ever had experience with uh, this kind of thing?
2: Yes, I did. So I, we, we went through a lot of investigations and uh, a lot of people pretended they got social engineered, but actually they were bribed before. So uh, the easiest way for that is people will say, oh, I got social engineering. I didn't know that. But in actual, he's part of the gang and he can just say, I got mistaken.
1: They said, well, somebody just walked in pretending to be me and you let this happen. You signed off on this because I know there's a manager override that was performed in order to make this number port. Um, and, uh, you know, they were kind of dancing around uh, you know, my request and saying that, oh, no, this person brought an ID in and the employee didn't do anything wrong.
0: The manager, with no name, wouldn't give a straight answer. The call went nowhere.
1: And, of course, I never got a hold of that person again, and uh, nobody knows anything about it.
0: With no help from Verizon, Shaz had the choice to either give up or pursue his case on his own. So he went searching for clues.
1: I called my bank, um, you know, and I said, Hey, did you get any suspicious calls in the last couple hours? They said, yeah, actually, we got a call from your number. Now, remember the previous Friday, I know a lot has happened here, but the previous Friday, I just asked that bank, Hey, if you get a call from someone pretending to be me, hang up and call me back at my phone number. Well, they actually got a call from my phone number.
0: At this point, if Shaz was banked with a big brand name like Chase or Wells Fargo, he probably would have been screwed. Because
1: larger banks that have, you know, way too many customers and, and they're national, it's, they're not going to know who you are. And so if they call in and they convince somebody that they're you, uh, I mean, you're, you're exposed now
0: but in a second extremely lucky break, he happened to use a small regional bank with such a small support stuff that they actually knew him by the sound of his voice. So when a hacker called in from Shaz's personal phone number with all the other personal information they had already stolen about him in hand and tried to reset his authentication information, the bank teller nonetheless turned them away.
1: They seemed to be cut. Uh, very uh, perplexed as to why that was.
0: His money was safe. What about his online accounts?
1: Um, I looked in my text logs and I saw that there was a bunch of uh, uh, text messages that uh, had um, been received um, and the, re- the sender of those were five-digit numbers. Well, five-digit number senders are typically uh, one-time passcode uh, authentication services.
0: Passcodes tied to sensitive accounts. The hackers had managed to breach one of his email addresses. The wrong one, though. One that he didn't actually use.
1: But uh, that particular domain um, allows me to see where the last login attempt was.
0: The IP address appeared to come from overseas. Hamburg, Germany. A long way from the retail store in Florida, where an anonymous manager overrode the number port on Shaz's phone, which could only mean one thing:
1: it wasn't just some dummy who got a hold of uh, you know a person's address and phone number and um, you know a bank name and, and and tried to like connect all of this together. Uh, this was this was uh, part of a more sophisticated crime ring involving multiple people.
0: Shaz collected his findings and opened up an identity theft case with his local sheriff's office.
1: The, the, the scary part about this is when I'm speaking to the officer that is now opening a, a potential uh, fraud, I mean, a potential identity theft case, this fraud case, and so he pauses me telling him kind of what transpired, because uh, I've got timestamps, I've got a timeline, I'm telling him everything in order, and he says... Mr. Khan, do you have any enemies? And that's just, that's a question I hear in movies. Like, I'm not used to hearing something like that. You know, he's asking me if any business deals went sour, if anyone I know might want to hurt me. I mean, I've heard of things like this, but that's just, uh, it's a scary thing to hear. So I'm like, listen, um, I don't know what other information these people have or who they are at this point, but what I can tell you is that, uh, you know, I'm fearful now because I'm paranoid and I don't know what's next. I don't know what they're going to attempt next. I don't know what they know. Do they know my address? Are they going to show up? Am I going to wake up with a gun to my head? You know, what's happening here?
0: On Friday, October 14th, 2022, the Southern District of New York ruled in favor of Michael Turpin, a multi-millionaire blockchain investor. Ellis Pinsky, who was just 15 years old when he took part in a plot to swap Turpin, was ordered to pay back the full amount stolen, $24 million minus $2 million he already returned. Two months later, Pinsky's partner, Nicholas Truglia, himself barely 20 years old at the time of the attack, was sentenced to 18 months in prison. In court documents and quotes to the press, Turpin often sounds annoyed. Despite their wholesome appearances, read the court filings, Pinsky and his other cohorts are in fact evil computer geniuses with sociopathic traits who heartlessly ruin their innocent victims' lives and gleefully boast of their multi-million dollar hastes. Pinsky is reputed to have used his ill-gotten gains to purchase multi-million dollar watches and is known to go on nightclub sprees at high-end clubs in New York City and Troglia rented private jets and played the part of a dashing playboy with young women pampering him. You can understand the frustration. Only 18 months' prison time and getting his money back hardly makes up for all the lawyer fees and the time, effort and anxiety involved in losing $24 million. But actually, Turpin can count himself lucky. Getting any recourse in a sim swap is an achievement. For one thing, you have to know who your attackers are in order to sue them. Neither Shaz nor Hasib figured out who they were being targeted by, despite both of them being very motivated to find out and tax savvy enough to try. And what if it turns out that instead of Florida or Germany, their attackers were located in Russia or China? they could sue in absentia, maybe even win the case. But it be to no effect. And then, of course, there's the cell phone company, the company that provided the weak security that allowed hackers to break in and employed the people who were either duped by or actively participated in the attack. Michael Turpin was awarded his money back from the teenagers who stole it five years ago, But when he tried suing AT&T for damages, the story went a little differently. According to his suit, in order to keep him on as a customer, an AT&T employee assured him that two-factor authentication would properly secure his account. In reality, though, the company had no intention of securing his data. A judge for California's Central District Court sided with the defense and their claim that "quote unquote" overly optimistic promises are not the same as intentional misrepresentation. Basically, AT&T told Turpin something that didn't turn out to be true, but they hadn't lied. His case was tossed out.
3: Have there ever been any kind of settlements, or am I, or are they suing some other entity?
2: I have not heard about anyone who was able to recover their money. If you get scammed up by a carrier, the maximum you are getting is a letter of apology. That's automated. I'm so sorry we lost all your money.
0: Shaz's police investigation is still ongoing. He hasn't sued Verizon, probably for his own good, but he still has a sour taste in his mouth. Like they should do something. I was still discontent
1: with um, the fact that this even happened. How could this happen with a multi-dollar billion corporation uh, Verizon, right? Not only that, I had to spend hours and hours and hours on the phone um, and to basically get nowhere and get shoved around by a manager who seemed very shady and like they were involved. With zero answers, zero accountability, and when I finally made some complaints on the fraud line with Verizon, they offered me a whole total sum of $50 off of my next bill. Thank you, Verizon.
0: That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. It seems you guys really liked the Cyberbunker mini-series, so a big thank you to all the people who praised it online, like Dave from Atlanta, who for some reason is into dogs and goats. Interesting, Dave. Dave wrote, quote, This is a good two-parter. I'm always amazed how little the physical reality matches the online persona. End quote. And long-time listener Will Von Sexron from Dublin, hi Will, he wrote, quote, Cracking episodes. Just goes to show you can't beat the man, especially after rubbing his nose in it. I loved them having to pay damages and then having no clue they had moved, end quote. Jack Beacon, the tinfoil-wearing alien, he tweeted, Malicious Life podcast and the B-side interviews, it's like a masterclass in history of all the hacks. Thank you so much, Jack. Daryl Knudsen, the podcast fanatic, tweeted that people at Malicious Life continue to provide the best podcast in the category. Wow, thank you very much, Daryl. And last but not least, Officer Cuado, who recommended the show to his followers, and he also created a Twitter community for sharing cybersecurity trends, tips, and advice. His handle is at Quado underscore one. That's Q-U-A-D-O underscore one. Follow him and maybe join the community. Thank you all very, very much. Malicious Life is produced by PI Media. This episode was written by the distinguished Nate Nelson and edited and produced by moi. Our website is malicious.life, where you can find all of our past episodes and full transcripts. Follow us on Twitter at @malicious_life Malicious Life or me at at Levy. That's R-A-N-L-E-V-I. Thanks to Cyber Reason for underwriting the podcast. Learn more at cyberreason.com. Bye-bye.
1: Music